Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. If you have your Bibles, take those, if you will, please, and turn to the book of Genesis. This is the second of a three Wednesday series, three Wednesday night series on faith. On last Wednesday night, we talked about Abraham, and this time I want to talk about two equal and opposite challenges in faith or errors with regard to faith. We're going to talk about the tension, a horizontal continual tension between the, between the lack of faith or the failure of faith of Jacob and the failure of faith of Gideon. So it's the, what I'm calling the horizontal continuum between the error of Jacob and the error of Gideon. If you have your Bible, Genesis chapter 32, I want to read just a few verses from Genesis 32, beginning with verse 24. And Jacob was left alone and there wrestled with a man, there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be no more Jacob. But Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob named the name of that place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Peniel, the sun rose upon him, and he limped upon his thigh. Now turn to the book of Judges, if you will, to the sixth chapter, to the sixth chapter of the book of Judges. And I'm going to read selected passages in the sixth chapter. As I skip, you'll be able to follow me. I'll announce it so you can follow. Judges chapter six, I'm beginning to read with verse 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah. By the way, I just want to say it is not Oprah. I just want to say that in passing. I was recently somewhere and somebody read it, Oprah, and I said, no, no, not beside Oprah. Oprah, that pertained unto Joash, the Abazarite, and his son, Gideon, who threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, a poor family in a poor tribe. Manasseh was one of the poorest, if not the poorest of the families. My family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. 
I'm a poor man from a poor family, from a poor tribe, and I'm the, I'm the last born. I'm the poorest of the poor of the poor. This is a positive confession we're hearing right here. This guy is full of faith. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And he said unto him, He, Gideon, said unto, unto the Lord, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Now I go to chapter 7. Then Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose up early and encamped beside the well of Harod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people who are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. Imagine a general who goes out to his army and says, we're about to fight a horrible battle against people that are about five times as many as we are, and everybody that feels in the least afraid, just go home. This does not feel like a strategy for victory. And there returned of the people 22,000. 22,000 left. And there remained 10,000. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for thee there. And it shall be that, that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with me, with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people under the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone who boweth down upon his knee to drink. And the number of them who lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, were 300 men. But all the rest of the people who bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, parenthesis, like dogs, I will save you. And deliver the Midianites into thine hand and let all the other people go, every man to his own place. So the people took provisions in their hand and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man unto his tent, and retained those 300 men. Which 300 men? The 300 that lapped water like dogs. This does not seem like the criteria you want to use to select a championship team. And the host of Midian, the host of Midian, the word host is used to mean an, a number too great to count. And the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come before you and just worship you and sing and rejoice and laugh. God, sometimes we live in such a joyless world. There are people in this house, O oh Lord, whose troubles you know, whose wounded hearts whose broken spirits, whose financial difficulties, whose, whose wayward children, you're aware of every single need in this place. And yet I pray, O oh Lord, that you will give them joy unspeakable and full of glory. Lord, that they will be able to laugh in your presence and to rejoice. Now, Father, overcome every resistance that we have tonight and give us a word that when we leave here today, we may be built up on our most holy faith. 
I believe you for it. I thank you for it. In the wonderful name, Jesus, the strong son of God. Amen. Two little babies, twin boys, born within seconds of each other. The first one out. The second one latches onto his heel as he exits the womb, grabs him by the back of his foot, as if to say, you're not leaving without me. They named the second baby Jacob. The first one is Esau, of course. The second baby, Jacob. There is a great deal of struggle over what the name Jacob means. If you do the research on what the name Jacob means, you will find a wide range of meanings. Part of the reason is because in, in some Jewish writing, for example, there's a reluctance, slight reluctance to, to say that the name Jacob means a deceiver or a manipulator. And I'm going to tell you why. Because in anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish writing, they have, those people have likewise used the name of Jacob to say that's what all Jewish people are like. All Jewish people are manipulators. All Jewish people strive. All Jewish people are trying to trip you up. So the name simply means, it can simply mean heal. It can be a grasper or manipulator. So it can mean the one who comes behind you and grabs the back of your foot to trip you. But it by no means means that all Jewish people are like that or all anybody. It's just another kind of, of anti-Semitic slur that is thrown against Jews. God forbid that it enters into our thinking. But Jacob's name for this one man actually proves to be a life challenge for him. Jacob cannot seem to trust God for anything. He has a great promise from God, but he won't let God bring it to pass. He, he knows that God has spoken to him and his mother, Rebecca knows, they know that he has, that he, the birthright should be his, but he is not firstborn. That's Esau's. They know that the anointing is his. They know that his destiny, they have sensed this from God, but they will not let God bring it to pass. So as Isaac or Isaac is growing old and, and his, uh, his eyesight is dimming and he loves his oldest son, Esau. Because Esau's the one who's manly. He's the, he's the hairy dude. He's the guy that goes out and kills the deer and cooks venison and, and brings it back to him. And, and, uh, Isaac loves Esau. But Jacob is more scholarly, more tent bound. He's more of a, of a shepherd type, more thoughtful and contemplative, but not really a man of the soil, not really a man of, of the hunt. Esau, goes out to to hunt and comes back in starving, hungry. And so he says to, to Jacob, give me something to eat. Jacob says, well, I just happen to have cooked up this lentil soup. And he says, give me some. He said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll sell it to you. You can have a bowl of lentil soup if you will give me the birthright, all that pertains unto the firstborn. Sell it to me. Give it to me and I'll give you a bowl of soup. And Esau says, I'm starving to death anyway. What good is my birthright? Now think about that. He's not starving to death. He's just hungry. Ladies, every time your husband gets up at midnight and stares into the refrigerator, so I'm starving to death. I'm starving. Tell him, you're not starving. You're just hungry. 
In fact, you may not even be hungry. You may just be bored. I'm starving, he says. I'm starving. And so he sells his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of bean soup. Now, while Esau is gone, Jacob, uh, Isaac says, I want some venison and tell Esau to bring it to me. So his mother puts some fleece on the backs of his arms and hands. And so when he goes in to take a bowl of venison stew to his dad, he says, here you go, dad. I'm Esau. I've brought you the venison stew. Put your hand on me and bless me. And Isaac touches the back of his hand. And he says, I feel all that hair on the back of your hand. And the hands are the hands of Esau. But the voice is the voice of Jacob. He's confused. He's elderly. He's going blind. But he blesses that boy. So Jacob, by manipulation and by artifice and by pretense, steals, purchases what God had promised to give him, what God would have given him. But he wouldn't wait. He forced it. He made it happen. The manipulator, the, 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 the person who struggles with the Jacob sense of faith, lives in a constant sense of striving. Even if they hear from God, even when they hear from God, they won't wait. They constantly force the issue. They press past God. They run past him. They won't, they won't wait. They won't trust God. They trust their own sense of self-sufficiency. It turns them from a person of faith into be a person of striving manipulation. Furthermore, that kind of manipulation reaps its own harvest. When Jacob flees from Esau, Esau is furious. His birthright's been stolen. His blessing has been stolen. Everything, and he's going to kill Jacob. So Jacob flees. He goes to live with his mother's brother, Laban. And you ever hear this phrase, you can't con a con? Have you ever heard that? You can't con a con? Jacob meets his match. He meets his match with Laban. You, you think that Jacob is a tricker and a manipulator and a conniver? He has, he's a, he's a baby. Laban is a professional. So Jacob falls in love with Rachel. Laban has two daughters. One is beautiful. The other one is not. And Jacob falls in love with the beautiful one. You know, ladies, listen to me. Every, every now and again, somebody will say, why do girls concentrate so much on looking good and not concentrate on being smart or intelligent or capable? Why don't they concentrate? Why do they concentrate so much on how they look? It's because they know that boys can see better than they can think. So Laban says, if you will work for me seven years, I'll let you marry my daughter, Rachel. He says, great, that's a deal. He works seven years, wedding day comes. She comes out in the oriental uh, wedding veil. Her face is covered and she walks out. They do the wedding ceremony. Wilt thou take this woman? Yes, all that is done. Everything is great. They pull the veil back. <laughs> 
No, no, no. Oh, oh, what? What? No. He said, well, the marriage ceremony is done now. But he says, work for me seven more years and I'll give you the other girl. 14 years to wind up with two wives who are jealous and angry their entire marriage. You can't con a con. Furthermore, the Jacob error is not simply the error of pushing past God, striving and manipulating and causing to happen even that which we've heard from God. It is the, it is the error of self-sufficiency. I, I will do what God either cannot do or will not do. I'll take matters into my own hand. Now leave Jacob there and let's switch to Gideon. Now Gideon comes in the section of the book of Judges where the Midianites are absolutely terrorizing the Israelis. They steal their harvest. They take their food. It says they are deeply impoverished because of the Midianites. And Gideon is threshing wheat. Do, do you understand how the ancient process of threshing wheat worked? It depended on wind. You would toss the wheat up into the air and the wind would blow the chaff away and the wheat kernels would fall to the ground. So you toss it up in the air, wind. It depended on wind. This guy is so afraid of the Midianites that he is attempting to thresh wheat in an enclosed wine press. The wind does not blow inside. This is not exactly your courageous hero. And an angel appears to him and says, Hail to thee, thou mighty man of valor. Hiding here, threshing wheat in an enclosed wine press. And Gideon says, what? Are you talking to me? He said, the Lord is with you. God is with you, the angel says. God is going to use you to defeat the Midianites and to unite the people of Israel. You're going to be the champion of the people. Listen to what he says. I am from the tribe of Manasseh. We're in a defeated, occupied country, the poorest tribe, the poorest family, and I'm the poorest child of the poorest family of the poorest tribe. The angel says, hail to thee, thou mighty man of valor. Even still, Gideon won't stop. If you're speaking to me now, give me a sign. If you're speaking to me over and over and over again, the error of Jacob is, I have heard from God, I know what God wants, and I'm going to take matters in my own hand, and I'm going to push and strive and manipulate and make this happen. I'm going to force God's hand. The error of Gideon is, I know what God has said to me, but I'm concentrating so much on my own weaknesses that I invalidate the power of God. Jacob takes matters in his own hands. Gideon doesn't want to take matters at all. Jacob's Poor, Jacob's failure is a poor God view. Gideon's failure is a poor self view. Jacob wants to force matters. Gideon wants God to prove. Oh, you've heard this phrase, lay down a fleece. You're going to lay down a fleece. You know what that means? It means test God when you already know the answer. He puts a fleece down on the ground. If you're with me, when the dew falls, make all the grass wet and the, and the fleece be dry. It happens exactly as he says. 
He says, great, great. Okay, I'm just going to ask you one more time. This time I'm going to put the fleece down. When the dew falls, make the fleece wet and all the grass dry. The failure of Gideon is that he is so self-conscious of his own weaknesses, inabilities, and failures that he loses God consciousness. The failure of Jacob is that he is so conscious of his own strength and abilities that he outruns God. This is the terrible tension between the failure of Jacob and the failure of Gideon. On the one hand, to press past God. On the other hand, to drag our feet, asking God constantly for more reassurance, more tests, more, give me something, just prove it to me. The first one, Jacob, doubts God's willingness to do this until I force him. Gideon doubts God's ability to use me in my weakness. The two tensions are very powerful, and they're real for all of us. There is the temptation of Jacob for every single one of us. I hear from God. I know the Lord's spoken to me. This is where I'm supposed to go. This is where I'm supposed to be. I've been called. I've been anointed. I've been blessed. I know that, I know that this child is going to return. I know that we're going to receive this healing. What do I do? I can't wait on God. I force the situation. I manipulate it. I push it. I press. I see this over and over and over again in situations where people won't simply wait. I say, wait on the Lord. Let God bring it to pass. I've seen it with kids. I spent the last 25 years of my life dealing with single young adults in colleges, and I love the little brats. I really do. They're wonderful. I've been surrounded by single young adults, but I've just seen they won't let God do it. They just won't let God do it. And I think, said, Dr. Ellen, the Lord has revealed to me I'm supposed to marry Sharon. I said, no, don't tell Sharon. Don't tell Sharon. Wait, I say, wait on the Lord. And I'll watch the kids all be up at the front during praise and worship. They got their hands up, and I'll see him going this way. Get on. He's right. I said, no, man, you. And now I see Sharon. She's going this way. Wait, I say, wait on the Lord. Don't push it. Don't press it. Don't strive. Don't manipulate. Here's the problem is that we wind up being unable to wait on God. We also wind up manipulating human beings. We want, we want to hint and lay down rules and twist and turn and control the outcome. The error of Jacob is I won't let go and let God. I'm going to constantly push and press, constantly trying to twist the thing to make it work my way, to force somebody else to do what I want. The error of Gideon is, uh, is, is a kind of false view of God's ability to use us as we are. I hear people say it all the time, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Can I, let me just reassure you, you're not. <laughs> you're not worthy. Nobody's worthy. Who is worthy? Nobody's worthy. It's, it's God's grace is his willingness and ability to use instruments which are not worthy, not talented, not capable, not perfect, not wonderful, not handsome. God can, God can call us and deal with us as we are. There is a you that you have not yet seen. He says, hail to thee. 
thou mighty man of valor. And some, some boy in a, in a rehab program that drug addiction and alcohol has just kicked his brains out. Just kicked his brains out. From the time he's 14, he's just been, he's just, life has just been slaughtered. And the Spirit of God comes in his room at night and says, Hail to thee, thou righteous, overcoming, conquering hero of God. He says, Lord, are we all watching the same movie? Because God sees a you that you can't see when you look in the mirror. These are the two errors. The one is a poor God view. God will not move, so I have to move. God will not act, so I have to act. God will bring to pass what I think ought to happen, and therefore I'm going to take matters and people into my own hand. Twisting, turning, the conniving, twisting spirit, forcing the issue, struggling with God, struggling with others. It's a life filled with struggle because we won't stop and let God have his way. When I was a United Methodist evangelist, I got into a situation with the United Methodist Church. It was a difficult situation. Frankly, I, I don't want to go into the whole thing, but I got the word that there was going to come a, a vote at the conference to pass a regulation that would have hindered the evangelistic work to which God had called me. And it was clearly a punitive act to stop the spirit-filled evangelism. And I was just torn up in knots over it. Just in knots. I'm going to call a lawyer. What do I do? I call board members. I was just in my hotel room the night before the vote. There was a knock on my door. I opened the door and there was a man in the hallway and he said, are you Mark Rutland? I said, I am. He said, the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. The horse is prepared for victory, but for, the horse is prepared for battle, but victory is the Lord's. And he turned around and walked off down the hall. The next morning when I got to the conference, the district superintendent met me in the parking lot and he said, well, we're not going to have that vote. I said, you mean you're not going to have the vote or what does that mean? Is this over? He said, it's over. It's finished. I said, there's nothing going to happen. You're not jerking me around anyway. He said, I'm telling you, Rutland, it's finished. It's over with. You don't ever have to worry about this again. It's done. He started to walk away and I said, sir, I, I don't mean to badger you. Could I just ask you what happened? You all were ready to go to, you were ready to rock and roll on this this morning. What happened? And he said, well, frankly, we didn't realize that there was another ministry that would have been affected. We thought it was only about your ministry. And we didn't realize it was another ministry that would have been affected. And last night at 10 o'clock, his lawyer called us. So I was able to rest and let him pay the lawyer. But I, I think it's important that we be honest with each other. There are times when you'll feel that it's urgency. You say, God, are you asleep? Are you, are you, are, are you doing, listen to me. If I can just say this to you, our God is an on-time God. Our God is an on-time God. Wait, I say, wait on the Lord. Don't get into the situation where you're twisting and conniving and grasping at things. You don't want that spirit of Jacob on you, that early spirit of Jacob on you. 
By the same token, when God has spoken to you, if you stare into the mirror and see your own weaknesses and frailties and failings, you may miss the opportunity of God because you think, I'm not capable. I can't do this. God can't use me. Listen, God can use you in ways you've never even begun to think of or imagine. You know, I, I, I will never forget. I will never forget when Jensen Franklin came to preach for me at Oral Roberts University. He, he gave a testimony that I, I've never forgotten of how he was so shy that he couldn't even, he couldn't even imagine speaking in public. There he is standing, preaching on worldwide television, all those students, the university, everything, and saying, I was so shy that I couldn't even talk. I couldn't even, he said, I couldn't even call a girl for a date. I was just, I was so shy. And he said, God kept saying to me, yes, but I have called you. But I have called you. I, I believe that in between these two errors, the error of Gideon, which says, I, I am incapable. God cannot use me. That doubts God's power. The error of Jacob, which says, God won't get on with it. That doubt, that doubts God's sovereign will. How do these things get resolved? Where do we come for these things? Jacob, all the fighting, all the struggling, all the trouble with his father-in-law, all these wives and everything is just making him crazy. He's got to go home and face his brother Esau, and he knows his brother Esau is going to take his head off. He's, he's looking, he's going to kill him. So he sends uh, his wives and sheep and cattle and all of his people on ahead of him across the brook Jabbok, and he lies down in the night with a stone for a pillow. And, and he sees this, he sees this fantastic vision of angels coming and going up and down a ladder. What does it mean? What can it be about? Just angels coming and going from heaven down to earth up a ladder. God is saying to him, look, I can access the temporal realm anytime I want to. The difference between heaven and earth is only, it's only real to you. He says, it's not real to me. I can step into your environment in a moment. I can step into your, into where you are. I, my, my ability to pass through the both sides of the bifold universe I, is mine. He comes into this wrestling match. The Lord wrestles with him all night. He just struggles. Has anybody ever felt this? Is Jacob the only one you know you have? Where you just walk the floor and just agonize with God and just struggle. God, why won't you undertake for me? Why won't you do this? Just agonize with God. And just about dawn, God says, it's so interesting. God restrains his power all night. Yeah, I mean, God could just say, poof. But he just wrestles with him. It's like a little boy wrestling with his dad. The little boy's using all his strength and his father saying, come on, fight harder, fight harder. And then just about dawn, God says, <laughs> I just want to show you what I can do. And he just touches his leg and throws his hip out of joint for the rest of his life. <laughs> I just want to say this to you. Before you get in a wrestling match with God, you want to read the book of Genesis. <laughs> so as Jacob goes on through life, all of this struggling, all of this war, all of this fighting. But he has been renamed. He's been changed. He's now an old man. 
making his way back, deep turmoil in his family. His sons turn out to be just rascals, murderous, manipulative liars, just bad guys. His life just feels like the, the promise of God is far away from him. And he says to himself, I, the last time I encountered God was at Bethel, Beit El, the house of God. The last time I encountered God was at Bethel. And he says, I got to go. I'm going back to Bethel. And the picture at the close of Jacob's life is of this old man limping, limping back to the place where he last encountered God. He says, I just need the Lord. I'm broken. I'm limping. I'm hurt. I'm tired of the struggle. I'm tired of the conniving. I'm tired of trying to force the issue. I'm surrounded by manipulative liars. And I've been a manipulative liar. I'm going back to God. And he limps all the way back to Bethel. And when he gets there, he encounters such a, a new and fresh experience of God that he renames the place Bethel. And he renames it El Bethel, the God of the house of God. You understand what he's saying? It's not a sentimental journey. He says this is not a nostalgia trip. I, I, I used to preach camp meetings. I don't know. Camp meetings. Yeah. Oh, it's a punishment. It's a, they're kind of glorified hoot nannies with a little bit of family reunion thrown in, you know, and they say, oh, this saw, look at this sawdust on the floor. Oh, they say, look at this sawdust. <laughs> Gives me asthma every year. And they said, right here, right here at the altar, this is where old Granny Wilson knelt right here and received the Holy Ghost in 1924, right there. That, that's the place. Nothing has happened in here since then, but bless God, that's the place right there. No, I, I don't want, I don't want to kneel where Granny knelt. I want to find the God Granny found. He says, the house of God won't do it for me. I've got to find the God of the house of God. So what about Gideon? Gideon steps over into the destiny that God has for him. After all of the doubt and all of the challenges and all the times, all the times he says to God, if that's a very dangerous thing. The Lord speaks to you personally and you say, Lord, if you're really speaking to me, <laughs> God might say, well, I was, but I'm not anymore. <laughs> After all of that, he steps over into the destiny that is his and that which God spoke to him while he was a poor man threshing wheat in an enclosed wine press becomes true. Oh, hail to thee, thou mighty man of valor. And both Jacob and Gideon discovered two of the twin truths about the life of faith in New Testament life. The first is, I can believe God. I can trust God. Paul the apostle said, I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I commit unto him against that day. Everything I surrender to God, I trust him with it. I don't have to force his hand. I don't have to make it happen. I don't have to badger my son into going to church. I don't have to complain until my husband is finally remembers our anniversary. I can trust God. 
I can trust God. I don't have to live my life. There are Christians who live their whole lives just every day tied up in agony. It's not going right today. God's God's not doing his job. Lord, won't you? Are you asleep? Look at my deadbeat husband. And men, it's not. Listen, ladies, if you think I'm on your case, men do the same thing. Well, Lord, if you were really God, if you were really God, she'd be off of my back. If you were really God, she'd kiss me more, nag less. If you were really God. But the life of peace comes when we say, I know who God is. I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep everything. My wife, my kids, my future, my fortune, everything. I surrender it. I surrender it. Jacob had to learn to trust. Gideon had to learn to obey. There has to come that moment where you say, after all my objections and all my ifs and all my pretense and all my struggles and all my self-doubt, I know you've spoken to me, God. I know you've spoken. And here I come. If you say that I can conquer the host of Midian with 300 men who lap like dogs, then bless God, show me to the way to the battlefield. Jacob had to learn to trust, to to release and let God have it. Gideon had to learn to obey. In between those two great pillars is the great life of faith. To trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.